Hello and welcome to the Velodrome podcast. We're back after a short break and once again I thank you for listening. I'm Steve, some of you know me as the Velo21 guy, but today I'm your host on this Velodrome podcast. And once again, I really do thank you for listening. If it's your first time listening to the show and you want to know what it's all about, basically we speak to recreational cyclists about their cycling journey and why they do the sport that we all love. So if you'd be interested in coming on the podcast, send me a message on Instagram, velo double underscore 21, it's the account with the blue tick, so you know you're speaking to me, velo double underscore 21, send me a message on Instagram and we'll get you on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you, we love to speak to recreational cyclists about their cycling journey. So once again, we'll dive straight in. Today, we are talking to Mark Bradley. Hello and welcome to the Velodrome podcast. Hey Steve, how you doing? Thanks yeah. for having me on. I'm good, thanks mate. Yeah, no problems. Thanks for coming on. As I say, we always really appreciate the guests coming on because if we don't have guests coming on, we don't have a show. So thanks for coming on. Um, first of all, we always talk about how we know each other. Um, this one again from a previous podcast link as well um, that we had Los Staples on um, who pilots your son doesn't he mason bradley um so we'll be talking a lot about him as we go through this podcast i'm sure but it is your podcast mark so we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about you first of all um hey the, the boy's far more interested in me steve so uh, yeah. okay. We'll, okay we'll see where it goes though and uh but yeah yeah lovely so as i say we, we always talk about how we know each other the the, the link was really through Mason, first of all, wasn't he? And then you serviced my bikes as an excellent bike mechanic yourself. It's uh, and nice and convenient for me to to drop it off to to your house because Mark does li- live rather close to me. So uh, yeah, I uh, drop my bike off for service for Mark to to look after. He's trusted. I even do collection services as well. Don't forget that, Steve. Oh yeah, yeah. Collection <laughs> delivery the lot. Um, yeah, and, yeah, I think the initial. The, the initial sort of um, conversation between me and yourself was, was me being cheeky and uh, we, we got that link of you living where you live which is like five minutes round from my parents isn't it um, yeah. and I, I'd seen you on Instagram um, through Velo21 I'd, I'd seen the, the post and that you were putting up on Instagram and realised that you were fairly local um, so we, we had a bit of a chit chat didn't we through direct messages and uh, found out just how close like you live to my parents and and then, like you know, we uh, we ordered some stuff from you, and I think that was two. Which me and Mason were talking about it earlier. Actually, I think it was like two thousand and two thousand eighteen um, oh, that we first made contact with you, and yeah. and kind of haven't looked back since. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So obviously, as we said, it is a, a cycling podcast, and this is your cycling podcast. So, um, how did you first get into cycling? Where did it all start for you? <laughs> well. Um, it's that boyhood memory, isn't it, Steve? You know, of um, you know, seeing in the morning when I used to get up before school and, and see my dad off to work. He'd he'd cycle to work. Uh, we were a one car family back in the day, and so kind of the thing that sticks in my mind is seeing him always on a bike going places, um, especially to and from work. Um, and then sort of, I can't ever remember a time when I didn't have a push bike of some description. Um, Growing up, teenage years, mountain bikes. Um, my mum and dad always had a favourite child. Unfortunately, that wasn't me. It was my sister. <laughs> um, so she she got the uh, the coach pass. So she was allowed to go to school on the coach because we, we lived in Wentzfield but went to school in Chesham Hay, which is probably six, seven miles away. 
Um, so there was a coach to him from school, and like I say, mum and dad would pay for her coach coach uh, passes each each year. But they bought me a bike and said that I had to cycle to and from school. So kind of got the rough end of the deal, riding down uh, the country lanes in the pitch black mm. through the winter. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. You know, it was that freedom of, of being out and doing what I wanted when I wanted to do it. Um, kind of went more into the the motocross and, and, and later on in my sort of teenage and, and 20s, I started racing a bit of speedway um, at Wolverhampton, at Stoke, um, kind of all around the country, really. So then my, my love for bikes has always been there, but it, it went more towards motorised ones. Um, finished with the speedway, joined the RAF, um, and then, you know, fitness was, is obviously a big thing in the military. So it was, you know, cycle here, cycle there, do various events. Um, so, yeah, I had mountain bikes. Like I say, mountain biking for me was great. Uh, I never really rode a road bike until I was over in Coningsby and there was um, like a charity ride called the Boston Slog. Uh, a friend of mine borrowed me a bike, uh, a road bike, and a giant it was. It was, you know, it was fairly old. It was aluminium. It was fairly heavy. But, you know, I whipped to Boston and back in, in, in pretty quick time for a guy that's not, not particularly fit. I'm, you know, although I am in the military, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the fittest guy in the military, but... Yeah, I just I loved it. It was that again that freedom and that that feeling of you know the the wind over your face and and just you know in, in this little world of your own, plodding away at your own pace. Um, moved around the country, moved um, across other places, which you know I won't say too much about, um, and got more and more into it. Started finding that you know I was not just riding the bike. Now I'm sort of looking at techniques of riding bikes and you know the diet that people would have riding bikes and just getting more and more invested but still had that element of i love motocross i'm still racing motocross i was racing motocross and enduro for the ref um picked up an injury um i tore my acl uh, when i say tore it i completely snapped it so i had to have surgery uh, and a lot of the the rebuilding of strength and that in my legs was, was done through cycling um, so yeah, that that was kind of how how my love of cycling came about, and then mm-hmm. did a ride uh, around the Ards Peninsula in Northern Ireland. Um, it was like a sixty k ride. I did it for a charity called Victor, who the year before I'd run the London Marathon for. Um, and yeah, and again, it was that I I just absolutely loved being out on the bike. Hate running. Did the marathon. Hated running. So I won't ever go back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, cycling for me has always been that. That, that sort of that freedom mm-hmm. um, for want of a better description yeah a lot a lot of people on the podcast have said that about the, the, the freedom aspect of it that you know you, you without too much effort you can be like you say have, have the wind in your face and it's such a great feeling isn't it um, quite a few people have said that on the podcast so how's your cycling going for you now um <laughs> a bit of a smirk I, I, there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've taken a bit of a sabbatical from cycling. Um, life with with Mason's been very busy. Um, you know, taking him up and down the country each week um, to to different races and different training sessions, and that that's kind of been my focus really. My 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 cycling it, it's still there. So me and me and my partner, she's she's visually impaired, um, so she rides the back of the tandem as the, the stoker as well. Um, so we through the summer not that we've had much of one this year 
Um, we, we'll try and get out twice a week on the tandem, just locally, um, you know, 20, 30 miles if we can. Uh, it all depends on time and, and what else we've got on, you know, but that's that's kind of our what I'm up to at the minute. Um, that, that will build across the next sort of 12 months um, as my... My lovely partner has just managed to get herself a place on uh, the Ride 100 next year, mm-hmm. um, and obviously being visually impaired, she needs she needs a pilot for that bike. So she's nominated me as the uh, the designated pilot. So it's got to be you, hasn't it? It's got to be. I you. best get I best get the lycras back out and strap <laughs> the boots back on and uh, get training because at the minute I don't think I'd be uh, capable of a hundred mile in too too good of a time. So. But yeah, so that that's the uh, the next goal for next year is to to get out to the pre with the Ride One Hundred, not the Pre One Hundred anymore, is it? Um, so yeah, so the the mileage will steadily start to creep up. Good. Um, we've already got the turbo trainers in the garage ready to go, and so yeah, it's, it will increase. Let's say, but we're going to get back to it. Good stuff. Good stuff. So obviously you've we've mentioned Mason um, so far. So how did you first get Mason into cycling? Uh, so ev- everywhere I've ever been in terms of like around the house in the garage, Mason's always been that that shadow. You know, the boys are boys and they love to get their hands dirty. So I've been in the garage and he'd be working on the motocross bikes with me or working on people's bikes or you know just just always in and about. Um, and I always felt like he would follow that dream of, of racing some kind of a bike. Um, so we, he wanted to try motocross because he, he loved bikes. So he, he had a got motocross. Um, we we kind of realised pretty quickly that that was probably not the sport for him. Um, being visually impaired, his vision is probably what we... How's the best way to explain it? What, what a normal sighted... So, so normal sighted being twenty twenty vision, what they would say at... 15 metres away um, in good clear detail Mason is around 3 metres away um, so if if we're out on the solo bikes and there's a car 15 metres away, all he will know is that there's a shape there, he won't be able to tell you the colour um, the registration plates, any of that kind of detail, he will just know that there is some kind of an object um, and obviously in motocross you need to see ruts and see bumps and jumps and like I say, we, we realised pretty quickly after a couple of not not bad crashes, but you know a few slow speed falls out of ruts, and you know he, that, that that wasn't going to be a sport for him. Um, so for one birthday, he got a, a Wiggins hybrid just from Halfords. Um, I think it was about his sixth or seventh seventh birthday, I believe. Um, and you know he jumped on it. He'd been riding a bike for years without stabilizers anyway, um, but he, he jumped on the Wiggins and he was he was just flying around the estates and that that we were living on at the time. Uh, when we moved back to um, we, we moved to Bedfordshire, uh, and as part of our role in the military, we kind of have to take on secondary duties. Um, and there was a there was a, a youth cycling club, but it only had about six members, and they were part of a a, a team. Um, in in Bedfordshire, and the guy that was running it was a guy called Jamie Quiggin of Flam Rouge Cycles. Um, great guy, lovely bloke. Uh, they've got their own race team, um, and they what they were using camp for was to for a transition from cyclocross season across to um, road race season. So they would come onto camp for about six weeks leading up to the the road race season, and they would use the the safe roads that we had on camp 
all gated off and they could fly around there at whatever speed they wanted to. Um, but there was only about six or seven riders that used to turn up. Um, so I kind of spotted a bit of a, a gap in the market, if you like, that we'd got all this real estate to be used whenever we wanted to. The All the licenses and that were in place. The insurances were covered by British Cycling because we had British Cycling coaches um, in, in Jamie. But Jamie was only there for six weeks of the year. So I was like, well, if I get qualified and I can put this on every week, it gives the, the local kids something to do. It gives me something to do. Um, and I took Mason along on his hybrid and he had a go. And, you know, he, from the off, he was competitive, um, which, which we didn't really expect because of his vision. Um in cycling, you know what it's like with kids. A lot of the parents are like, yeah, he's competitive because he's on a hybrid. He's not on a, a road bike. His balance would be different. And so I was like, okay, what? Well, I didn't know a lot about it, to be honest, with kids cycling. So I was like, well, what do I need to get him? So oh, he needs drop bars. He needs clipping pedals. So bought him the drop bar bike and he was still really competitive, but he was still on flat pedals. So then the parents were like, yeah, but if he was unclipping. So, you know, everything that they were saying, we were just introducing him to and and he took to it like a duck to water, you know, and and from the off, he was just, you could see there was something special about him. There was a talent there that just needed, need, needed sort of um, evolving into to whatever he, he was going to be. Um, and the only way to do that was to get this, this cycle sessions to be on every weekend. Um, so that that's what I did. I, I set up uh, Henlow Youth Cycling um, with the help of some others. I'd got my, British cycling qualifications for coaching um, with, with a few other guys uh, and we set this club up that went from, from strength to strength really um, and in the two years that I was kind of down in that area <clears throat> we went from the six kids that would turn up for six weeks to there was 90, 90 something kids on the books um, 30 children turning up every weekend because that was our, our max um, and we did that come rain or shine because we had the road so we had the tarmac areas we, we also had grassed areas so we could take them through cyclocross we could take them through road racing um, we used to organise trips down to the Velo Park in London um, through clubs that were in the area and the, the local cycling clubs their kids would come along and then we would take them to velodrome sessions down at, at um, Lee Valley and Mason obviously was always a part of that, and and that's kind of where his his journey started, if you like, was mm-hmm. turning up every Saturday, riding his bike. Um, he actually, <laughs> with a couple of the blokes I used to work with, they'd set up Strava segments around camp, and and I think to this day Mason still holds about three of the uh, <laughs> the KOMs around Henlow Camp. So uh, so yeah, he's he's pretty proud of that one. So when when how old was Mason when you set up Henlow Youth Cycling then? Uh, he'd have been about. So I got to Henlow in 2017. Um, so Mason would have been, what's that, five years ago? Mm-hmm. Six years ago ish. He'd have been about 11, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, he was, he was fairly young. Yeah. I say fairly young. I mean, there was kids there that were younger than him. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying he took to it late, you know, he wasn't a teenager when he took to it, but there were kids there that were younger than him. But I think that we just we just caught him at a good age where mm. he, he got the bug, you know, and, and that bug, although at times through you know, through COVID and whatever else, it has weaned slightly, 
Um, that bug's never gone away. He's always been hungry to ride his bike, and if he can, whenever he can be out on his bike, and it doesn't matter what bike it is. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from cyclocross, um, to all the cyclocross out there, I apologise, but Mason hates cyclocross. Mm-hmm. But again, that's that for him. That's a vision thing um, because they're using tape to tape off the track. Uh, when you come to like a, a 90 bend or a, a 180 bend, Mason just sees a dead end because he, his vision can't see which way the track's gone, you see. So right. it's just that he enjoys riding the bike. He just, it, yeah. it's a lot more stressful in trying to do side cross because of the way the tracks are set out. Yeah, because you touched on there that he, he enjoys ev- every kind. I mean, I've seen him on doing stunts and tricks and, and all, all sorts on, on the bikes. I've even seen him on a, a one-wheeled obviously a unicycle and he, he can ride that quite well as well can't he it's quite impressive to see yeah so, so he, again that was a, <laughs> another birthday present that he was he was crazy about bikes and he's like i want a unicycle um so we got him one and you know to start off with it, it, they're, they're difficult you know it's, okay. it's that balance and didn't know if he was going to take to it didn't know if he was going to be able to do it uh i went to work came back the next day and and there he was riding his unicycle up and down the road <laughs> i was like oh great um, and, and then the, not so long back, uh, there's a cycle shop in near to. He, he lives with his mom in Telford, and there's a cycle shop just down the road called Plush Hill Cycles. Um, it, it's about a five mile round trip, and it, it's it's quite hilly. And uh, yeah, he he decided one day he fancied giving it a bash on the unicycle, <laughs> so he off he went and did this five mile round trip on the unicycle. Wow, yeah, because um, saying they're quite difficult, I got one as well and it's I've had I had one go on it thought oh, I'm going to break my neck on this and that was like COVID times when the you know the hospitals were stretched enough and it's like I shouldn't really be trying to ride a unicycle <laughs> at the minute should I it's like yeah yeah that, um, that's it yeah because the first couple of goes that I had I was was trying to balance in the kitchen holding on to the work surfaces and just getting it going backwards and forth and I thought there's no way I can let go of this this is just unreal like i don't know how people do it when i've seen when i've seen others do it now it's just like i know how our daddy's daddy's so, so his his tips for, for people starting out on it were to not try and keep it static so you know you say go backwards and forwards yeah. that's probably the hardest thing to do okay um so the way that he started off was to just just ride it just get yeah. the pedals turning and ride it and then you know jump off it turn it round and, and ride it back and yeah and just develop it on from there like but yeah I still can't do it, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's tucked away in the shed, and I don't think it'll ever come out. To be honest, it's uh, yeah, it's a, he'll a race, he'll race you on that then because he'll probably beat you. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can be on my road bike, I think I've got a better chance. <laughs> Lovely. So, how did he find his path into into racing? He obviously races at a, a, a quite competitive level now, doesn't he? Yeah. So we all the way through. Um, I kind of look at, you know, my motocross and attempt at Speedway, a career in Speedway, which was quite short-lived because it was, there wasn't opportunities to go and try and, and race. It was so few and far between. It was kind of that you turned up for a race and you were racing against guys that had been doing it for years. Um, and sort of learning from that path and trying to develop Mason was, was all about, exposing him to things gradually not you know throwing him in at the deep end so muddy monsters over in bedfordshire is a a cyclocross series designed for kids but you can ride it on any bike you want you know there's there was kids turning up with bells and whistles and you know um 
streamers coming out the handlebars and all sorts. But the really nice thing about it was everybody had a go. It didn't matter how many laps you did. You got cheered on every lap. The cowbells were ringing and it was a really good introduction and exposure towards racing, but in a really relaxed environment. Um, Developed that on a little bit. Uh, Milton Keynes at the bowl, they do some crit racing um, and they do that for kids. So, you know, we let him go along to those and have a go at those. And again, it was, we didn't care where he finished or what he did. Um, you know, his, his first race there, he, he tried to keep up with the two lads that, that made a break off the front and he burnt himself out in half a lap. The next time he went there, he learned from it. He sat with the bunch for the majority of the race and managed to finish third because he'd, he'd learned from the mistake that he made. Um, so it was all about those little little exposures to more competitive events as he's, as he's sort of grown up. Um, riding bikes around the velodrome with fully grown adults, putting him into environments where he was safe. There wasn't other kids trying to race him. The adults always looked after him, give him confidence on his bike, um, you know, and then again covid hit we we moved back to sort of um shropshire area um covid hit um so everyone i think felt the pinch of covid um and i think kids felt it i wouldn't say way more than adults but you imagine that the development years for kids and and if you were in those development years i think that they felt the pinch really bad um and, and for mason it was you know all of these things that he enjoyed so cycling stopped because we couldn't go to the velodromes we couldn't go and race yeah, he, he tried to do as much as he could on the turbo and on rollers and, and all that, which which is great for fitness, but I, I believe it makes you quite lazy as a cyclist um, because you're sat there in a stagnant position. You're not having to be observant about things. You just, you know, you, you get on and you pedal and you, you get off and you, you're sweaty and, and, you know, that, that that's great. But I, I don't think you can match the realism of being out on the road or being on the track. So... I think he found it really difficult getting back in. Um, and again, around the time we'd moved to a different area, so we'd moved back from Bedfordshire to Shropshire. Um, prior to coming up here, I'd been in contact with Newport uh, Cycling Club, which is uh, over, well, it, it's in Newport, obviously, um, <laughs> in Shropshire. Uh, and, and they were great. And they'd got all these plans for getting their sessions back on and, Again, they ran something very similar to what I was running down at Henlow, and I thought, well, that'd be great for him to get him back into racing and riding. Um, but yeah, it was it was literally six months and then COVID, so all that good stuff that we'd set up prior to coming back had stopped because of because of the big C. Um, and then when that all went away, Newport organised a track session up at Manchester, um, which I took Mason to. Uh, he got on the track, he did his warm-up as normal, he got on the track and he just kept slipping down the track on the corners. Uh, he came in, he was, he was, you know, and he won't mind me saying it, he was really emotional, he was really upset, he was crying, he's like, Dad, I, I can't do this anymore, I, I've, I forgot, I can't do it. Um, the coach is on the track and, and sort of me in the D with him, talking to him and, and you know, asking him what, what was the problems. And it was literally just the fact that he'd been so used to riding the bike in a straight line that he he'd forgot how to ride off the rollers or or off a um, off a turbo trainer. Um, you know, there was there was kids there younger than him that were beating him, which really frustrated him. And it, yeah, it, it got to him. Um, 
so we, we sat, we had a talk and I was like, look, if, if, if we're done, we're done and you don't have to complete the session. Um, and, and as Mason does, you know, it was that true testament to his determination is he's like, no, I've just got to try this. I've just got to try this. And he was making up what he needed to try, you know, rather than being straight on the bike in the corners, I need to lean, I need to do this, I need to do that. Uh, he went out again and he built his confidence and, but yeah, again, by the end of the day, he was he was back on the front of the pack and leading everyone around the track, which was amazing. You know that he'd, he'd gone from not being able to ride the track again to this confident kid that he was before COVID. So, a funny story actually. Thinking about the track, and I said that I was going to mention it when I was talking about how he got into cycling. Um, I did touch on it with the the clubs in Bedfordshire used to organise and they used to get track time. Each club would get some track time down at Lee Valley. And uh, Mason was too small for the Lee Valley bikes, um, the 700 wheels. He couldn't get on them because he was, he was really short. So I went out and I bought him um, frog bikes to a 26-inch wheel track bike. Uh, it's bright green. It's lovely. It's still hung in the garage because I, I can't let go of it. And uh, so I took him there on this little 26-inch track bike and I was like, right, just, just be careful. Please just be careful. He's like, yeah. I said, listen to the coaches, do what they tell you to do. He's like, I just want to ride the top of the track. And I, in my head, I'm like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not too happy about this, son, but I didn't want to say no. And uh, eventually the coaches were like allowing him to get a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And and they said, all right, okay, go to the top of the track. But obviously he'd whizzed past them by this point, And they were trying to say, go to the top of the track on the straights. But Mason just heard, go to the top of the track. And, and that was him, <laughs> bang, straight to the top of the track. And then he was just there doing lap after lap after lap. And the coaches were like uh, point, pointing at him, come down, come down. But because he couldn't see them pointing at him, he just stayed at the top of the track. And he, he must have done like, I don't know, 15, 20 laps at the top of the track, which is, it, it's for a fully grown man, like 15, 20 laps at the top of a track. He's, it's a good effort, you know, and he, and he was just up there and he was loving it. You know, you could see this massive smile on his face. And then eventually he dropped back down and in. And, uh, you know, we have this little talk afterwards and we, we were discussing what he'd done. And I said, how did you find it at the top of the track? I said, were well, you not scared? And he was like, scared of what? I said, well, it's a long way down to the bottom. He said, I couldn't see the bottom, Dad. What was it to be scared of? Mm. <laughs> so it was like, you know, his, his, his attitude towards it, even though, you know, he's got all these barriers with his vision, his attitude is just Brilliant. unreal. And, he, yeah. and even to this day, you know, I'm always going to say it, and we had this little chat before we came on uh, on the podcast, didn't we? About you're always going to be biased about your kids, um, mm. but he's just such a nice kid. You know, he's friendly, he's polite, he's well mannered. He's he's the in my eyes, he's like the perfect sportsman. He doesn't matter if he wins or loses. Um, he's got this saying: we start with a smile, we finish with a smile, and whatever happens in between doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, he's he's just a funny kid, like yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, and for um, anyone that's not ridden track and maybe doesn't appreciate what Mark was talking about there with regards to the top of the track, it is a hell of a long way. It's a very, it's steep. If you've never been in a velodrome, I can guarantee it's steeper than you think. As soon as you see the the angle on that curve, it's it's not. It doesn't look like it does on the telly. When you're actually in there, it's like, oh my god! It's worth a Google um, about the, the steepness of the bend, and there'll be a picture of a man stood. He's about six foot tall. He's stood on the flat bit of the track at the bottom, 
and he's got his arm out, outstretched at shoulder height, and he's touching the track. That's how vertical it just rises, and and it just goes up and up and up. And it is high from up the top. I've ridden the track a couple of times, and uh, yeah, if you go around the top, it's a, it is a long way down. <laughs> But 42 degrees, they reckon, tracks yeah. are roughly 42-degree banking. Yeah, because, um, I mean, it's, it's even 8 degrees in the straight, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, there's, yeah. there's even banking in the straight. Um, and like I say, you just don't get that. On the, I could not believe it. When I first walked in that velodrome, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, that is... How are you going to get round that? You can't, you can't turn, you can't ride on that. Like you've obviously you've got to have enough speed. The the coach said at the time you've got to do about twenty, really, to be able to have enough angle so your pedal doesn't strike the um, strike the track. Um, yeah. To to be able to lean into it to to have that speed, so you need to be sort of twenty plus. But obviously on on, on a track bike you've not got any speed. Oh, you've kind of got to do it through feel. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'd recommend anyone riding track. I'm not trying to scare anyone off. It. It's a, it's a great thing to do, um, especially for like road cyclists. If you've been riding for a few years, have a have a go at it. I'd recommend it. Um, it's absolutely brilliant if you get the opportunity. But it is scary. <laughs> you, can, you can actually build into it as well, though, Steve. You know, obviously in Wolverhampton we've got Aldersley Stadium, which has got mm. a great facility, an outdoor track. You know, it's it's a big track. It's the banking isn't as steep as, as the indoor tracks. Um, so as a confidence builder, again, like I'm, I'm bigging up our, our local area here. Mm. Um, Wolverhampton's facility is fantastic, you know, and mm. Birmingham's got a great facility. Um, I don't know, obviously your, your listeners are from kind of all over the country. Um, York, Middlesbrough, um, they've got outdoor velodromes as well, which are almost as steep as the indoor ones, but not mm. quite. Um, but they're really grippy as well, which is good. Yeah, because um, they're five, yeah, five hundred meter tracks, aren't they? Instead of two fifty, is it the is one? It two... The one in York and Middlesbrough, they're they're shorter. They're about the same okay. as indoor. Um, but yeah, Wolverhampton is 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 pretty big. Meter, yeah, because that's yeah, it runs around the outskirts of a running track. Um, yeah, and yeah, they're, they're it's definitely five hundred meter track at Wolverhampton, as Mark said. But yeah, it's a, it's a like you say, a great facility there. So how's Mason's riding going for him at the moment and what else is in store for him? Yeah, it's, it's, his riding's gone really well. Um, we, we've kind of had a bit of a change this year in turn. Not not this year. So we, we predominantly focused on the track. Uh, once he was big enough to ride a tandem, um, we we started doing a, a Derby arena they've got. Again, it's a, it's a great facility in the Midlands. Um, so their track is, is fantastic. Um they they've got sessions on for it the day they do all the accreditation sessions there but they also put on uh, what they call the para sessions which is for uh, para riders so anybody with any kind of um i hate the word but any, any kind of disability can go there um if they can ride a solo bike then you know they can go on the solo bikes but there's a, a two-hour block every other saturday uh, from 12 till 2 where you can as a para rider that that is your session um, and you go along, they've got coaches um, which, who will coach you. Um, so we, we started taking Mason along to that. And that, that was the focus because Mason's love. He absolutely loves being indoors on the track. Um, so like I say, when we got the tandem, well, before we got the tandem, we could go there. We could rent bikes from them. Um, and they've got tandem. So so that's what we focused on. Um, again, it was like bringing it back to that, introducing him, giving him a little bit of exposure to the the more 
serious racing, let's say. Um, he, he hadn't been on the bike long enough, I didn't think personally, to go and do the Nationals, not last year's Nationals, the, the first year that Nationals were back on after COVID. Um, but there was a few events throughout that year. There was like a pursuit event. There was a couple of sprint events um, that were organised. But unfortunately, they, they got cancelled in the end. Um, so we kind of had 12 months, maybe maybe slightly less, where he could just focus on riding the tandem on the track. Um, we, with Loz, who you interviewed, like you say, a few weeks back. Um, so, yeah, that, that was always the plan, was to 20, 2022... Um, was to go and do the national championships. So for, for 2021, we, we were in the track and building up each week or every time there was a session on, we would go along. Mason would still do some solo stuff as well. Um, AD Dent, one of the, you know, he's a, a quite a well-known track coach. He runs sprint sessions. Mason loves sprinting because you, you put a big effort in, but not for a very long amount of time. Um, so that that's what he enjoys. It's high speed and, and that's that's where he was at. So... We went to them, we built up, um, and then we went to the Nationals. Um, he, he, I, I could talk for hours about the Nationals. Um, I could probably do a whole podcast with you on it. Um, <laughs> to, to cut it short, we went there with no expectations. Um, Loz, th- these are Loz's words, not mine, so I'm not, I'm not being rude when I say it, but it was a 15-year-old kid and a 50-year-old fat man on a tandem that were just going to have a, have a play and see where they were at. Again, with the main focus was exposing Mason to being in the D, seeing all the other riders. Um, you know, you've got British cycling riders were there, uh, Jack Carlin, Matt Rotherham, uh, all, all these guys doing their own sprint stuff. Uh, and Mason was in and around it at 15, which kids don't get that opportunity, um, especially on para uh, pathways, because th- there is no other kids doing tandem racing at 15 years old. Um, so we, we went to that he entered there's three events for the tandems there's the, the sprint event which is you do a flying 200 um, set a time and then you go into match sprints um, the second day on the Saturday was the pursuit so that's 4k 16 laps from a standing start and then the third event is the kilo uh, 4 laps from a standing start so our focus was to go there have fun do the sprint event and do the kilo event and give them the day in between to kind of relax and recover. Um, so at the sprint event, there was Mason entered into it. There was um, a guy called Tom, Tom Wing, into, entered into it on the other tandem. So two tandems. So straight away at his first nationals, we knew he was coming away with the silver medal, which confidence-wise for a 15-year-old was, you know, was going to be amazing. Um he set a PB, so we, we obviously clock lap times when we were at Derby. He set a PB, um, 12, 12.3 seconds for the Flying 200, um, which we were over the moon with, you know, and, and if, if that was all we got out that weekend, like, we, we were on cloud nine. Um, went into the first match sprint, uh, Josh Josh uh, and Tom, Josh Dunham and Tom Wing, they were on the the other tandem, um, really experienced. Josh has been around for, for quite a while. Still a young guy, but he's been around for a while. Uh, and they absolutely handed it to him, like, see you later, we're, we're off. Um, in the D, we'd, we'd kind of been helped by um, Emma Pitt. She's a an, an ex-pilot who's now a coach on the British Cycling Development uh, Programme for para-riders. 
Um, and she was giving tips and advice to Lars and to Mason and was in and around and giving us some help um, in terms of like, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. They went out in the second race, the second match sprint. Um, Tom and Josh were leading off. So they had the advantage because they were at the front. They controlled the race. Uh, coming into the last lap, it, it was fairly slow pace. They were up high on the track and, uh, and Loz just went. He, he dropped down the track and, and they just went. And it was like they were up to speed before Tom and Josh had even realised that they'd gone. Um, so they'd probably got like, I don't know, half half a straight, maybe three quarters of a straight advantage going into, you know, took the belt, still, still like a full lap to do. <clears throat> They're at max chat. And um, I'm there in the D thinking, oh, they're going to catch them, they're going to catch them, they're going to catch them. Uh, and, and they didn't, Mason and, and Lars held on. And so they got the second match sprint. So that made it one all, went down to the decider. Uh, now in the decider, again, we, we kind of knew it was going to happen, but they, they got it handed to them. Um, and, and Tom and Josh took the gold and Mason and Loz took the silver, but it was the way that they took the silver in terms of, you know, they they took it to a decider, they'd put all that effort in, they'd, they'd left everything out on the track, but it was still their first nationals and we'd massively overachieved to what we'd set out mm -hmm. to achieve in the first place. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. We went into the... Um, we had the Saturday off, didn't do a lot on the Saturday, went and watched some of the racing and you know, was in and around, uh, bumped into Matt Rotherham. If you don't know who Matt Rotherham is, give him a Google. He's multiple record holder and, and world champion and Olympic champion riding the tandems. Uh, they've always been in and around with Mason and talked to Mason and, and he's, he's Stoke and Neil Fatchie. He's, he's, again, you know, he's, he's world champion, current record holder. So Matt was there on his own doing the solo stuff and, and we were walking out the track on the on the Saturday and, and he stopped me, oh, Mason, how are you doing? And he just had a conversation with Mason like he'd known him for years, which, you know, I was I was so impressed with how professional he was, but also like he stopped his conversation with everyone he was with to talk to Mason and ask him how he was getting on, which yeah. I'll be eternally grateful for, you know, because it's it's that kind of advice. And he said, oh, you know, asked him about his next event and Mason said, oh, yeah, we've got the kilo tomorrow and, he said, well, I'm here tomorrow, mate. He said, I'll, I'll come and see you before you race. And kept his word. He came over before the kilo. Um, there was five tandems entered in the kilo. And we had the silver medalist and the bronze medalist from last year. Josh and Tom um, as well, plus uh, Henry Latimer and Chris Wilkins. So the, it was a good field, you know, for, for tandems. It was it was a really, uh, it was positive to see that many, many on the track. Um but we, we'd never done a kilo. We'd done a, like a practice kilo where I held the bike at Derby and set them off and they did four laps and they, they set this time. And our, our mission at, at the Nationals was just to beat whatever times we'd set. Um, and I think it was about a 119 that they'd set at Derby, which was quicker than the silver and bronze from the year before. I'm, I'm about figures, so I'd kind of looked and was like, oh, so I knew if they could run that, they'd be challenging for you know to beat these two riders that I didn't expect them to beat, but I would I would have liked them to have beat just for some bragging rights at Derby. Mm -hmm. um, so they went out for the kilo before it might come up, and he's like, "Look," he says, "just from the start, get the start right, get up to speed as quick as you can, and then just hold on for dear life." He said, "You know, just just hold on, just keep going and keep going, and when you think you can't keep going anymore, just go again." 
and uh, so they did, and and they went out and they did a one one thirteen at Newport, which you know was was phenomenal. I was so like again over the moon. We've we've smashed our PB. I keep saying our because it's it's a team thing. Yeah. Um, we smashed our PB. You've you've done everything you need to do. You've come off the track like I physically had to lift Mason off the bike because they were just so depleted of energy. Um, Lost kind of wheeled the bike in, and then they both just flopped on the floor. I've got a photo somewhere, and <laughs> they just flopped on the floor and were like in bits. But while they're still in bits, there's other bikes still going. So I'm sort of watching split times, and I'm getting excited. And Tom and Josh went and ran a 107. Um, and the, I mean, the world record is 50, 58 or 59 seconds. Um, again, held by Matt and Neil. So I was like, well, 107, that, that's fast. Um, Henry and... So Henry and Chris went out. They had a bike failure. So, you know, it failed mechanically. So they get to go again. Josh and Tom went out, broke the start gate. So like we've set this time and I'm just watching the clock and watching the clock and it's going on and on and on. And I'm thinking, oh, come on. I just We need to see what happens. Um, but yeah, so those two beat them um, with a 107 and then Henry and Chris did a 112. So we were within a second of, of these um, these squad riders, these foundation squad riders, which, again, we were so proud of. Um, Nadim, who was the bronze medalist, he went out first. and we No, he went out after Mason, sorry. So we knew we'd beat his time. So we were sat in third place with the silver medalist from the, the previous year still to go. And, uh, and yeah, he, he went. And I'm, I'm watching the split times and it gives you the split time from the first place to them and I'm trying to work you all out over these four laps and then when they crossed the line and I saw them in fourth place I was like I think they'd beat them by it was a good three or four seconds that they'd beat them by as well so it was quite convincing um, but I was still looking at the clock and I just heard Mason like yes and he was cheering his little head off you know and, and then the emotion starts to come out and the pride and you know I, I, I'll admit it I'm, I'm, I'm a man and I cried like a baby. I was so <laughs> emotional that day. Um, so yeah, but then this year um, we, we kind of went off on a tangent on the uh, the national stuff there. Like, but this year we, after the nationals and and having all those highs, it's kind of like um, you come back down to earth with a bit of a bump because it's you've been so high up that that ladder of emotion that and and this was between Mason and Loz saying it that like they just nothing they did sort of gave them that same feeling. So being on the bike, they went back to the track and it was just like, oh, we just ride the track, we just ride the track. It's it, it didn't become boring, but it was just like they needed something, a new challenge, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing some, um, the National Circuit Series, uh, the Para National Circuit Series, um, which it's been brilliant it you know it, they've gone there and it's it's helped Mason work on his endurance that you know it's an hour long race on the tandem um I wouldn't say it's massively well turned out the first race there was just them there so they get to ride with solo bikes but again they, they were competitive with the solo bikes which was cool um the next race you had Chris McDonald turned up and he's like you know he's, he's just raced at the world championships up at Glasgow he's he's been around the scene for a long time he's uh, He's a fast boy, like him and his pilot, Adam Duggleby. They are, yeah, they, they're fantastic. But they're great. They're really encouraging. Um, but again, they absolutely wiped the floor with Mason and Loz on the uh, the circuit stuff. Um, 
so yeah, they've, they've done that series. That this, if the series meant anything, they're sort of standing at the top of the table because they've done all of the races and all of the rounds. Um, and then the next step will be to do. There's a a, a single championship, um, which is in September. So that's on the seventeenth of September, um, which is again a national championship. So national jerseys on on the on on the line, and then there's a national TT championship as well, the Para TT Championship, which is at Thruxton, and that's at the end of September. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what's in the pipeline for him coming up. Once we finish that in September, the idea then is to flip back over and start going back to the track and training, ready for the uh, the track nationals in February up at Manchester this time. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, good stuff. So there's a, there's a lot on the cards as well, then. There's a lot still to... Oh, there's loads. To, there's there's loads so. to do, yeah. Yeah, um, and obviously, I really feel he, he could go far. That's the the underlying factor, really. That, like you know, he's doing so well at such a young age, as you said. Like those positions that he was in that just young kids don't get. Um, you know, so he is doing so so well with it, and you know, it's just it's brilliant to see. Because um, as you said at the. Um, start of the podcast where you've kind of been dealing with each other since about 2017 because um, we're one of the sponsors for, for Mason um, and do you want to give the other sponsors a, a shout out as well while we're there? Yeah absolutely um, so the first sort of two people that I, I kind of want to mention is they've not been on the team for that long um, Mason's physical development obviously at 15 we, we've kind of kept him away from the gym and it's all, been a lot of body weight stuff, but I, through a family friend, I set him up with a, a personal trainer. Uh, that's a guy called Lewis Harper. Um, he's over at in Telford. So again, another Shropshire guy. He he sees Mason uh, for a personal training session once a week, but then sets him a strength and conditioning program. Um, so he's been doing that probably since you no know, September October time last year, um, and he's he's development through that has been immense so you know big shout out to Luis for that um, we've just took on board as well um, and, and started training him more cycle focused um, with uh, Steve Bidolf um, who you know we, we, a lot of people know Steve he, he owns Bridgetown Cycles um, but he also has uh, SB Performance Services which is his coaching business um, but, but he's come on board to the team and he's been working in Mason for three or four weeks now um, but he, he specifically tailors it to Mason, um, his training, and he, he works it around anything that Mason's got going on as well, which has been incredible. So if, if Mason's got, like, um, tomorrow and Friday, obviously we're recording this on Thursday, um, Mason's got a um, a training camp with the development squad, he, which he's a guest on. Um, so for this week, Steve's altered his programme so that he'd have nice, fresh legs ready for that. Um, but, yeah, so they're two, two of the people that have come on board this year and, and they're helping out massively. Um, yourself, you know, you're you're the OG, Steve. You've been with us since day one. Um, yeah. Absolutely, um, which I'm proud of. To be honest, that's that's one thing that I am really proud of. That we've had these links for for many years. But like you say, I was the first one on board on board with him, which I, which I, I do love with the Velo Twenty One products. And that's you it, know. you know. And and I, and I hope that you you can see how much we appreciate your help with with you know with the posts and everything that we we put out for you. Um, yeah. He, with his visual impairment, obviously he has to have specific kind of glasses. Um, so there's a, a company, it's down in Cambridgeshire called RX Sport. 
um, and they do prescription sunglasses. So they've always been in and around helping us out and, you know, making sure that he's got you know, glasses from, from the NHS glasses. They're fantastic, but they're not sporty. So they do him inserts for normal sunglasses, which, you know, makes him look cool, which is above all, you know, kids always want to look cool. So he can have your nice Oakleys, but they'll have an insert inside them so that he can actually see where he's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and through them, we've, we've again, sort of recently, we've had a, a company called Pit Viper. Um, they've come on board and they, they supply Mason and Laws now with, with racing glasses for them to go racing in. Um, VeloZone is a, a cycle um, services shop. So they, they provide all of our bike parts. Um, they're down in Hinkley, um, Leicestershire. So again, without them, we'd, we'd be paying through the eyeballs for parts. Um, so massive help. And again, that was a, a company that Loz brought to the team. Um, and then, so Mason's not actually using them just now, but because of his age, we kind of keep him away from your energy drinks and, and all that sort of stuff, just because his body really doesn't need it at the minute. He's got more energy than you can shake a stick at. Um, but we, we went to the cycle show not so long back and um, there's a, a company there called Goat, uh, Goat Drinks Limited, who make a, it, it's kind of a healthy alternative to an energy drink. Um, so it's it, they're very focused on what, what chemicals, you know, are in Red Bull and Monster Energy and all the rest of it. So they've looked at that and how the detrimental effects that that could potentially have and how it can affect some people and not other people. And they've gone for more of a, a naturally sourced energy um, that, that they put into their drinks. Um, so the one that they've got at the minute does contain caffeine, does contain sugar. So I won't allow Mason to drink those. Um, I like them though; they're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they are they do have in the pipeline a, a sugar free variant that they're going to bring out. Um, which you know, when Mason's sixteen, seventeen, he can make his own decisions then as to what what he puts into his body and, and hopefully he makes the right decisions. But I really rate the uh, the goat drinks. I think they're a, a great company. And then the team, um, Born to Bike, again, it's um, it's based loosely around Bridgetown Cycles. They've got their own race team, Born to Bike, um, which have got a fantastic setup for uh, able-bodied riders, but they've also got a great setup for para riders. Um, a lot of the tandem teams um, a lot of the, the stokers ride for board to bike, um, you know, and again, they they put on coaching sessions, they get track time, um, and, and it's just a good group of people, you know, that have, have welcomed Mason with open arms. So yeah, th- thank you to all of them. And this this journey, as you know, Steve, this this journey wouldn't be possible without the help of those people. And if there's anybody else listening that does want to get involved, and uh, you know, <laughs> they want to talk, uh, just drop a. Uh, drop Mason a, a direct message. Obviously being under sixteen I do I do look after his social media for him at the minute. Um so yeah it's Mason underscore Andrew underscore Bradley treble seven. Um and you can find him on Instagram. Lovely. Perfect. Perfect like uh what do I wanna say that the uh you've picked him up perfectly. That that's it. That's what I wanted to say. So it's uh, well done there. It's um like you say having all those different companies um, and using all their individual attributes to help Mason as well, he's he's, he's brilliant. So it's helping him, him on the journey, and like you say, making everything possible to be able to go racing because it's not cheap, it's not easy to do. Is it? It's you know, there's a lot of 
things involved behind the scenes and with all the coaching he's now getting and everything like that as well to help him go as far as we can it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant yeah that's it mate they, they all bring something to the to the team you know and they all uh, everything helps and and although some of it overlaps um it, it all helps and it but it, i try and get them to help each other as well at the same time you know um mm. so yeah it's we, we've been quite um not picky, but we've been quite. Yeah, I suppose picky is the right word. We've been quite picky about who we've we've tried to get involved, you know, and the small businesses that that you know that, that give a good product and give good customer service and and actually care about you know care about the products that they're delivering and, and care about the people that are delivering to is is massively important for us. Um, you know, obviously, I'm I have the cycle that you know the the servicing business myself that. I look after everybody's bike as if it's my own because you know that that's what I would expect from somebody looking after my stuff and, and with your product I know that whatever product I'm putting onto a bike is you've used it and you would use it on your own bike and if if you wouldn't use it on your own bike why would you sell it so that's mm-hmm. that's what we kind of look for and as I say I've got no complaints with with anything that um, that I've ever had from yourself Steve it's it's all been uh, spot on yeah good stuff because that was one thing I was going to touch on uh, next actually about your mechanics business because just before recording this my wife said to me she was like oh it's going to be a long podcast because whenever you drop the bike off or I'm picking the bike <laughs> up I'm, I'm away for about three and a half hours <laughs> yeah that's right that is right I've had to come and yeah. see you at work now just so that we don't stay together for yeah, too long yeah I? that's it yeah, yeah the last yeah it. the last the last time Mark dropped a bike off to me, he knew where I was working. It wasn't too far from his parents' station. He was like, right, okay, I'll drop it off. And it's like, oh, yeah, quick, like, don't let the customer see. I'll just stick it in the van. You'll have to go now, kind of thing. But we, but we were still there for 30 minutes. <laughs> about that, yeah. That's about, that's about the quickest meeting we've ever had. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Good stuff. So do you want to give your, your, cycling, uh, your cycling business a, a little shout-out, Mark? Why not? Yeah, I can do it. So I only have a Facebook page, you know, I, I keep it quite low key and, and a lot of it is done, you know, as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm in the RAF and I'm, I'm based at Cosford. So a lot of it is done for the people who are in the RAF, you know, and trying to give something back to them. Initially, I started it up so that I could teach Mason about bikes. Um, I was kind of sick of taking my own bike apart every week. <laughs> so I was like, well, I could do something beneficial to other people here. So if people had a problem, they'd, you know, drop the bikes around and me and Mason together would would look at it and we would fix it and it's trying to make sure that he's got some some good skills for when he gets older and for when he grows up and you know it's I don't want to take business away from other companies but and again I don't want to slate any big companies because that's that's not what I'm about but I just feel sometimes the smaller the company the, the the better quality of care you get in because they actually care about what they're delivering um so yeah it's mab cycle services on uh, on facebook is is the the facebook page um I, I don't really post a lot on there because you know although i am doing stuff it's it probably takes longer to take the photos and post about what i've done than you know so it's and some people don't want their bikes all over facebook they you know they're, they're, they're happy for me to just service their bikes and and away they go but yeah we uh we're fairly cheap, you know. We don't, we, as you know, we we don't charge too much because I, I want to keep it as cheap as possible because I know how much cycling costs, and and actually I've got no overheads. They get done in my garage, um, and and 
you know, my, my products are fairly priced that I get from yourself. So if I can pass those savings on to other people, then, then that's kind of what we're about. Brilliant. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we're going to move on now to the uh, final few questions that we ask all our guests. Um, which, first of all, are you a calf stop cyclist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Saying that now. I, um, <laughs> I've thought long and hard about this and, and, at the minute, I'm not a calf stop cyclist. When we go out on the tandem, because we're going out after work, um, we, you know, we'll we'll blat around the sort of the local area, and at sort of six, seven o'clock in the evening, there's not really that many calves open, so we'd get out, get the ride done, come back, and, and have a nice cup of tea. Um, but yeah, calf stop, absolutely. And if if I'm out on the bike and it's sort of a good calf, oh, I'm an absolute flat white coffee snob that you know. That that's my my drink of choice when I'm out. What are you eating? It, it depends, you know. If if it's a shortish ride, then I'm just going to plump for a piece of cake. Good old Vicky Sponge, if they've got a Vicky Sponge. Um, if I'm on a big ride, you know, I, I'm all about big rides. So you know, I've, I've been known to sort of wake up on a Thursday during COVID, and my boss, who I, I sort of had at the time, would be like, "Right, Stan, what what are you doing today?" Like, well, we can't really do a lot. I was like, yeah, but, you know, we can go for a bike ride, can't we? And we'll just blat off for 100 miles. And so, yeah, we uh, then it would be trying to get in something decent. So first stop would be like a bacon butty or whatever, a little bacon roll or just some bacon and eggs on a plate. And I did one ride, the Dulwich Dynamo, and there was sort of calf stops as you went through, but it was throughout the night. So it was like you'd stop off at a pub and you could get some food at the pub and I made the mistake of getting there and I was hungry, so I had a burger and uh, that burger sat on me for about three hours of that ride and I was like, I'm never eating a burger when I'm riding a bike ever again. So it's about learning your lessons, isn't it? And knowing mm. you know, what your body will, will utilise as food, as, as fuel when you're riding. Um, I was quite naive then. I was, I was fairly uh, early into my uh, long-distance cycling career. Mm. Um, so yeah, I made that mistake and uh, I've never made it again since. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, because I'm the same. With, like you said about a bacon, but I couldn't have the bacon. It makes me too. Couldn't thirsty. have the bacon. Yeah, ah, okay. like, the fattiness and the, the saltiness of the bacon all makes yeah, me yeah. really thirsty as well. Like that would sit on me, and then I'd just be drinking loads as well. Get the bacon thirst. That's, that's <laughs> so. Um, yeah, uh, dream bike, money, no object. Oh, do, do you know what I'm? For me, it's a, it's a straight, it's a hard question. This is dream bike, money, no object. I would I would get Mason the Hope track bike tomorrow. Okay. Like that would be the bike um, of of choice. But but if I'm totally honest, for, for me, I, I I'm not the kind of cyclist that needs the dream bike. So I race a race. I ride a, a Boardman Air at the minute, which you know I went from a Boardman Team Carbon, which I loved. You know that bike I did. London to Paris on it. I did the Dulwich Dynamo. I've done so many big rides on that bike, and it was so comfortable. Um, upgraded everything, you know, full full Ultegra all the way through, and a decent saddle and some some good bars. Um, so actually, it was the only thing that was still still Boardman was the uh, the frame and fork. Good set of wheels on it, um, and that was kind of I loved that bike. And then I thought, you know what, I, I fancy a treat, so I went to the Air model, um, which is it's a beautiful bike, you know, once you get up to speed on it, it just, 
it just whips along. Uh, got a nice set of DT Swiss wheels on it, which you know again are, are great. They're nothing fancy, nothing special, but you know they, they roll so quick and and yeah. But but if I had to get a dream bike, it, it'd definitely be the Hope Trap bike. And if Hope are listening, they can build Mason a, a nice tandem. That that would be absolutely spot on. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll tweet it to them or something and see if they'll they'll have a listen, man. Perfect. That'd be lovely. If they can't do the full tandem, then we'll just take a set of their disc wheels because you know that that'd be fine too. Yeah, I'm sure we can sort that out. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Um, yeah. So if we could pop you anywhere in the world to go cycling right now, where would you go? Tough question because I've never really, I've never really done much abroad. Um, I've been abroad quite a bit with work and stuff. Um, I think France. I, I just think that the way that France have got things set up. Obviously, when we when we did the London to Paris, we we did it self self sufficient, no support vehicle, no nothing, just three of us on our bikes, um, like a um, a big under seat pack that had all our like flip flops and clean undies and that sort of stuff in for when we got there. Um, but we we went from uh, New Haven to Dieppe and then we cycled from Dieppe in towards Paris. And um, there was like, a, a, I believe, I'm not 100%, so don't quote me on it, but it, it was an old railway line that mm. they turned into like a, a, you know, pedestrian access cycle route. Uh, and it was probably about 20, 25 mile long, but it was it was beautiful. You know, you've got hills and mountains next to you and campsites and rivers. And it, it was so picturesque, you know, it, it, it was just gorgeous, you know? So mm. if I had to go back anywhere, that that's where I'd go back to. Cause it, yeah, it was, it was a nice ride. Um, I'm definitely not one for, for mountains though, Steve. So, uh, anywhere that's flat will do me nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Great stuff. I think we've just about come to the end then. I, I did actually just joking uh, put one question in here. I, I put what's the best bike cleaning brand denying the questions that I sent out you did yeah, and, so, uh, yeah I think was... I think I've, I've touched on that a couple of times um, yeah. I, I wouldn't go anywhere else um, you know not not just because we're obviously friends and we've got a really good relationship um, I, I genuinely rate your products there's not a single one that I've ever used and thought oh, you know this is a bit of a this this is a bit uh but you know your um, the dirty weekend bike wash, the the new stuff that you're the concentrate stuff. You know yeah. when it comes to value for money, that it's unbeatable, and the product works so well. You know, soak it in that before you wash it, and it just makes washing the bike so much easier. Um, your degreaser, I've never. There's a guy who I work with, um, Paul Kent. He's a, he's a great guy, and he doesn't do much with his bike apart from ride it. He rides it and rides it and rides it, and then like I'll say, oh, give me your bike, PK. I'm going to service it. So I'll take it off and I'll give it a wash and a service. And uh, he's like, I love sending my bike to you. He says because every time it comes back, it's like it's just come out of the showroom. <laughs> um, but that's a testament to your, um, you know, your degreasers and everything that you've got. It's it's so easy to use. It's it's so efficient. You know, it's it makes cleaning bikes enjoyable. Good stuff. That's exactly Is that enough of a sell for you? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> no, it, it's, yeah, it's mean, all genuine. It's all genuine, Steve. You, you know, it's uh, it, it is it is fantastic stuff. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. 
And once again, I thank you for coming on the podcast as well. It's been good fun, mate. It's been really no good. problem. Thank you for having me. And we're very lucky that it didn't go into you know full yam yam mode, seeing as we're both from Wolverhampton. Yeah. We yeah. we were saying before, weren't we, that we expected it to go, uh, <laughs> yeah, to go full Wolverhampton. But no, yeah. I think we've done well there, mate. Yeah, yeah, because you can't put subtitles on a podcast, so uh, absolutely we not. Kept, we kept it quite quite good. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks a lot. No, no problem at all, Steve. Cheers. That was fantastic speaking to Mark there. I've known him for quite a while now, as we said in the podcast, since 2017. We've had quite a good relationship that's built up over the years, and he really is a good friend. Fantastic bike mechanic as well, as he as he gave a little shout-out to his, his cycle business on uh, his Facebook page. And Mason, what, watch out for that name. It's, you'll see it again in the future. It's He's doing phenomenal things he really is and I'm really excited and to see how far he can go um, he's so passionate about his bike riding and racing and he really is a fantastic young talent so remember that name Mason Bradley and uh, you'll be seeing him again soon in the future so once again I'm Steve the Velo 21 guy I thank you for listening and I'll catch you soon <laughs>